In the interest of community service, Power 88 presents live talk shows to inform, enlighten, and to stimulate thought and dialogue. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of KCEP or the EOB. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Or call in and participate at 647-3688. Funding for community partners for better health. On KCEP Power 88 is underwritten by the Southern Nevada Health District. And here is your host. Good morning and welcome to A Healthier Tomorrow. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I am so excited for today's program. We have a full house in the studio with tons of incredible guests. We are going to give you so much important information. I am just thrilled to also introduce my new co-host, Ms. Elisa Howard from Minority Health Consultants, and she's going to give us some community updates at the end of the broadcast, but you'll hear her chime in from time to time during the program as well. Again, this is A Healthier Tomorrow. I'm Will Rucker, so tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your cousin and them that A Healthier Tomorrow is on the air, and we've got important health information that you need to know. The A Healthier Tomorrow radio program is sponsored by the Office of Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion at the Southern Nevada Health District. Check them out at www.gethealthyclarkcounty.org for tons of great health information, programming, and free events that you can take advantage of. So with that, I want to get right into our content and welcome our amazing guest. I'm going to start with our Asthma Awareness Day program guest. And I happened to just see this flyer on social media and I was like, that's something we need to talk about. So they graciously agreed to come on and at the very last minute and join us to spread awareness about this important event, about the amazing foundation that they have and the story that brought them to this work. So Icky, I'm going to start with you. Would you just introduce yourself and let folks know why you're here? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm Icky Woods. Um, I, um, if people don't know, I uh, played uh, four years with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I actually went to school here at UNLV, and uh, we're just uh, trying to come back and give back to the neighborhood. You know, um, most people know me for my famous dance, the Icky Shuffle. You know, I had a few commercials, Geico commercial, and things like that. Um, uh, ooh, get them cold cuts. So, you know, we just, uh, we just kind of, you know, come, come back and give back a little bit to the community, you know, especially, uh, in the African American community where, uh, asthma is real prevalent and a lot of us don't know how to, uh, handle that. And so our main goal is to, uh, spread awareness and the most important is education, is educating them on how serious and severe asthma really is and what steps they need to take, t- uh, to try to avoid the tragedy that bes- but struck me and took my son from me. And so uh, that that's why we go around the country uh, spreading the word. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and if you don't mind, uh, well, two things. One, um, I'm going to need you to do this icky shuffle for yeah, me. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. No, I, doubt, no doubt. <laughs> no, I, do, I do the chair shuffle now. Okay. You know, I'm getting a little old to be doing the real shuffle, you know. So I work the chair now. All right, the chair <laughs> shuffle. I like that. But also, your your story is really powerful because yeah. that, that loss is tragic, but you've made something out of it that is a legacy 
that will live on forever. Yeah, it will. And so, could you just share how how you experienced that loss and what you learned from it? Yeah, well, you know, uh, my uh, middle son has uh, suffered from asthma since he was two, and uh, when he was diagnosed with asthma, we thought we knew everything that it was to know and you know so we went through a couple of stints where he had a few hospital stays and and then um he's he's 16 now and you know we think we really got it under control you know he's taking his medicine he's doing his preventive medicine and you know and it was uh on a, one of those real hot and humid days and and i you know before i left i actually left to go uh, get my, um, my grandson and take my daughter to work. And in the process of that, I normally take the guys with me, but they were on the PlayStation at this time. And so I said, Hey guys, I'm going to get Bubby. I'll be right back. And before I left, I asked Joe, how was he doing? He said, I'm, I'm great, dad. I said, okay, well, I'll be back. So I leave, go get my daughter, take, bring, take her to work. And on my way back from taking her to work, my youngest son, Aubrey calls me and said that Joe says he can't breathe. And I said, well, put him on the phone. And he said, well, he's not here, dad. I said, well, go find him. And, and so, uh, and called me right back. And so about maybe a minute, two later, he called me back and he's in a panicking state saying that Joe's collapsed. He's collapsed. I said, well, fill his chest and see if he's breathing and put your hand over his mouth. And he said, yeah, dad, barely. So, you know, I'm on the freeway and I'm doing a hundred miles an hour trying to get there. And so I finally get there and, and, and at the time I told him to call 911, but someone had seen him fall and dial 911. So they were already on their way. So the time I got there, they had him in back of the ambulance. And so I ran up and said, that's my son back there. What's going on? He said, well, we're, we're trying to resuscitate him. And we're, so I followed him to the hospital. We get to the hospital and, uh, then it was just a, a waiting period of them coming in and telling us what's going on. And, uh, I guess, Probably about 15 minutes later, the doctor comes in and the first words come out of his mouth is uh, he's not going to make it. And the first words come out of my mouth is you better get your so-and-so back up in there and get my baby to breathing. And so they, they went back in and they, they got him back to breathing. And so they airlifted him to Children's Hospital and we get to Children's Hospital and the doctors come in and say that he had lost a half an hour oxygen to the brain. And so that's that's actually, you know, he went into cardiac arrest and that's actually what killed my baby. And so uh, we were there three days and they talked about, um, you know, since it's the whole brain, you know, we're going to do some activities and see if see if what happens. And if nothing happens at, after this point, then we're going to have to pronounce him brain dead. And and so uh, nothing happened and they pronounced him brain dead. And, you know, I. They didn't know what to do, man. All I, could, all I could do is yell and scream. And, you know, I was, uh, it, it, it took me to the core. And then, uh, so after that, we went into this room where there's a, the doctor, the chaplain and two other ladies that I hadn't seen since I've been in the hospital. And the doctors, the chaplain said what he had to say. The doctor said what they had to say. And then these two ladies, they were from Life Center. And so um, they they told me that my son had checked on his driving permit that he wanted to be an organ donor. And so um, in typical fashion, I really didn't know what was going on. And 
So I cussed these ladies upside and down. You're not taking my baby's organs, whoop, whoop. And they was like, no, Mr. Woods, we're not saying that we're taking your son's organs. We want to let you know that he checked on his driving permit, that he wanted to be an organ donor. And I said, well, let me see where he checked on his driving permit. And they showed me his, um, they blew it up. And on the back of his driving permit, he had signed that he wanted to be an organ donor. And I knew it was his signature because he, we had practiced doing his signature. So I knew what his signature looked like. And I, and I knew it was his. And so I looked over at his mom and I asked her, did she know anything about this? She said no. And I said, um, uh, she said, well, what you want to do? I said, I don't know what you want to do. And then I said, well, what we should do is what he wanted to do. So we would let him become an organ donor, and he was able to save four lives with his organs and help help countless others with his tissues. So we're very, very happy about that. Uh, that's also a part of our foundation as well as we go out and, and try to convince uh, our people to become organ donors because we are the the ones who need the organs the most you know we're at the top of the list for being uh organ recipients so we need our people to start being organ donors and so we go out and, and we stress that you know through the foundation and we're we're we were able to touch a, a bunch of lives man and, and and that's our number one goal if we can save one life, then we, we've done our job, but we're hopefully can save a bunch of lives. Well, it sounds like you've already done that yeah. and, and more. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I, I definitely didn't know that full context yeah. and you're absolutely right. We definitely need more organ donors. No Our people don't necessarily love that thought, that, that thought yes. but it is so important. And uh, the work that we do um, couldn't happen if we didn't have people willing to donate yes. um, as they transition. So um, we got to bring you back to talk about that, too. OK, no doubt. Right. No, doubt. no um, doubt. Coming up this Saturday, April 15th from 12 to 4 p.m., you have the second annual Asthma Awareness Day happening at the Sammy Davis Jr. Festival Plaza at Lorenzi Park. Free and open to the public, right? Yes, yes, definitely free, open to the public. Come on out and get some tacos. We're going to have some great tacos out there. <laughs> Come on out and have some fun. We're going to have a lot, a lot of fun and games and have a bunch. We're going to have a few uh, ex-football players out there signing autographs along with myself. So we're going to just trying to, like I said, give back to the community. We got free testing going on. So if you think your child has asthma, come on out and get them tested to, to make sure so you know exactly what to do because education is key, man. You know, fighting this disease called asthma. If we can get our people or people in general educated on this disease, it could uh, stop taking lives. It's taking 11 lives a day, man. And it's uh, it's time to do something about that. Thank you. So screening is free. Yes. 12 to 4. And you can find out about it. And then not only will you find out, you'll have access to information on asthma management and ensuring you know what to do in an asthma emergency. So that's such important work. Thank you so much for joining A Healthier Tomorrow. Man, like thank I you said, for having we gotta me. Have you back. Oh, yeah, we we definitely going to come back, that's for sure. All right, stick around. We've got more great content coming. Right, this is you. A Healthier Tomorrow. I'm your host, Will Rucker. And we are so excited to be sharing this information with you. Our next guest, I'm going to bring them both on together. They're going to talk about the the context of this month, but before we do that, Alisa, what what month is it? This is National Minority Health Awareness Month, and so we have two fantastic um, ladies with us today, um, both doctors, both 
educated women, um, but serving and helping our community in this area for National Minority Health Awareness. But they do this every single day. They don't need a month to to advertise this because this is their daily work. And I'll let you introduce them more. All right. Well, well this is is one of my favorite names to say. <laughs> <laughs> And it is Dr. Lauren Chapelove, and you are the amazing psychologist, resident psychologist that helps a lot of folks even uh, that don't pay you to help them. So, you know, thank you for for being here and, and sharing what you do. Just a real quick intro on bio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, hey, y'all, what's going on? Uh, Dr. Lauren Chapel Love, so a very Vegas name. Um, I like it a lot, too. Uh, yeah, I'm a psychologist. I'm in private practice down here in Las Vegas, so I see folks for psychotherapy. I do forensic evaluations, and I talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is to say it's kind of a for us, by us kind of situation uh, as far as we're not reflected in the doctors that are out here. And so we want more information about how to get, you know, psychology and mental health and other public health services. So that's what I do. Awesome. And sitting by your side is a community staple, Dr. Melva Thompson Robinson. So quick bio and intro. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Melva Thompson Robinson. I am a professor at UNLV. I'm currently in the School of Nursing. I had been in um, the School of Public Health, but transitioned over to nursing. I am also the former executive director of the Center for Health Disparities Research at UNLV. I am editor of the Journal of Health Disparities Research and Practice. And I recently took on, in my move to the School of Nursing, um, the role of advisor to the dean of the School of Nursing on equity, inclusion, and justice. Awesome. I mean, we we have amazing guests. I told you we were going to have some fantastic folks here, I right? I redo my bio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and you didn't tell me we was... Okay, that's fine. We're going to talk just, about that later, know, doctor. Right, right. I was just kind of, you know automatic pilot there rattling off things but so many important things and so many aspects because health is not just your physical body right it's it's your mental state it's your emotional state it's your spiritual state and this month is all about health equity which unfortunately we have not achieved by any means but we are making progress right we're getting closer so i'm uh, starting with you uh dr melba tell us why this is important for our community Well, when we talk about health equity, we're talking about the right for people to have the opportunity to Mm. be healthy. Okay. And that's, that's important because some of us take for granted, oh, you know, we're supposed to be healthy, you know, and I think as we've heard from Mr. Woods here, you know, that's not always a given. And it's always hard for me when, you know, somebody like Coolio even though now it's coming out that it was fentanyl, but it was his asthma. It was, you know, other things, dying young, you know. Um, uh, Oh, my God, I can see his face right now. Um, But, you know, so many celebrities and so many other people that we know are dying at, you know, young, young, Mm. 50 years of age. And, you know, if you even were to look at 
zip code maps of this city, you would see that people that live over here in the historic west side are dying young. And they don't have that opportunity to be to be healthy. You know, I live over near the lakes and I can go out of my neighborhood, go around to the right and to the right or to the left and to the left. And there's grocery stores. There's not that in the historic West Side. Mm. You know, we can those of us with cars, it makes it easy for us to get to medical keep treatment and care versus if you don't have a car and trying to get there. So when we're talking about opportunities, we're not just focused on, oh, we did a health fair and we, you know, somebody got screened, but we're, we're giving them everything that they need to be healthy. And that's where we start to talk about social determinants of health Mm. and, um, you know, education and the role of education. So now, you know, when you start looking at quality of schools in some neighborhoods versus other neighborhoods and who lives there and who doesn't live there. And then what are the employment opportunities? Because in this country, we tie health insurance to our employment status. And so when you start to look at all of that, it's, you know, when we're talking about opportunity, Hmm. it's not just, oh, there's a doctor there and I went to see the doctor. And let's be clear, too. Part of this is about the doctor Mm. and the healthcare system and the way that they treat us when we go in for treatment and care. There's so much to unpack there. (laughs) I was about to say, I was about to say, for our five hour show, I could go on and on and on. So laughing and she's smiling because I looked at her like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) Mm. I talk about this often, uh, Dr. Melba Thompson Robinson. being a professor at UNLV and me working with UNLV often within my business, um, you and I working within the community and Nevada partners, working on health disparities and health equity and bringing health equity to our community. And what would that look like if we all had health equity? So if we want to talk about just in general or do we want to talk about like and specifically here on the historic west side? Let's talk about here on the west side. Here on the west side. What would that look like? That would look like um, safe parks mm-hmm. and green space mm-hmm. where people feel like they can go and exercise and hang out. This might be farmers markets popping up over here. This might be um, providers other than, and this is not to slam FQHCs, but other than FQHCs. FQHCs see people on a sliding scale, um, which is nothing wrong with that but you know people that have private insurance are able to go you know even to like a southwest medical and see a provider and perhaps even have one provider that they see every single time they come in for care which Mm -hmm. is if you have a chronic condition Mm -hmm. seeing that same person becomes important because that person can look at you and say you know what you don't seem right today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge you privilege. Know? And then they can say, you know, start to ask a little bit deeper questions versus if you're seeing a different person all the time, you know, yeah, it's it's documented in the chart, but it's only as good as whoever documented it. Absolutely. And as we talk about health equity um, in just chronic diseases and uh, infectious diseases and what it would look like on the, on the historic West Side to have grocery stores and mm-hmm. a doctor that you can go and see. We also need to talk about our mental health. How would our mental health look on the historic West Side if we had health equity in this area? 
Dr. Chappelle Love? Yeah, so I mean, I can jump in on that because it too would look like being able to have the privilege to see someone that knows me. And not just the me that is kind of walking in that day, maybe having a rough day, but knows my experience. I I have a private practice, um, L Psychological Services, and many of my patients are coming to see me because I am a black psychologist, because I am a queer psychologist, or these other, these other facets of our identity where Mm You know, when when I when someone asks me uh, <laughs> where was Usher at 7 p.m., I can answer that question. <laughs> how, how long did the woman have to fight all her life? I know the answers to these questions. They don't have to explain that to me. It's a part of a cultural experience. You know, kind of like come home when when the streetlights come on, right. kind of thing. And that is especially important. Um, I I love. Dr. Melva's point that health equity impacts us so much. I've had to go to the hospital with my mom before, and they were trying to adopt a watchful waiting approach kind of situation. I said, wait, 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 let me reintroduce myself. So initially I said, I'm her daughter, Lauren. I'm actually Dr. Chapel Love, and here's the appropriate TBI protocol, and here's this and this and this. And so for, for many people, that's simply not a possibility. I know all the big fancy words. Doesn't mean I'm smarter or better, but I, I know some of them anyway, right? I think the mental health component is going to be education, being able to recognize how and in what ways I can be a better consumer of my medical or mental health care. What does it look like for me to go find a doctor? How do I even do that? How do I ask my insurance provider? Do I have to have an insurance provider? So it's answering all of these questions. And there's resources out there, which I love talking about, because I, I think that's that's part of my job here, to provide that service um, to our community, the West Side and black folks beyond that as well. That's so important. Now, I, I want to ask the the question around connecting the head to the rest of the body, mm. because for so long we've treated mental health as something completely separate from our physical well-being and from healthcare in general. How can we reconnect the head to the rest of our body? That's uh, you're about to get my quiet as it's kept speech. OK, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that this perspective that a lot of us were raised in, we were kind of ensconced in, is that spirituality is separate from my physical health, and that's separate from my mental health, and that's separate maybe from some of the trauma or the experiences I had growing up in whatever household and blase skip. And what we talk a lot more about these days, because we, you know, we, Maya Angelou, we, we know better, we do better, right? What we talk a lot more about these days is this understanding of something called a mind-body connection. That means that when someone comes into me, especially a child, for example, right? I'm not going to be asking, you know, please tell me all about your uh, cognitive distortions and your anxiety experiences. I'm going to be asking like, hey, bud, you know, do you ever get stomach aches? What does that look like? Do you you ever have any headaches? How many adults do I see, you know, with some type of gastro issue or their stomach is, is acting funny? And then we start connecting that to what's going on in your life. Um, I've done work in, in medical facilities where someone might be coming in for a head cold. And then we get to talking and rapping and you find out that they're also experiencing maybe some domestic violence at home. And that is an example of how our bodies are going to be the roadmap of what is actually going on in our head. And oftentimes our bodies kind of know sometimes before we do. 
that is so powerful. Our bodies sometimes double board. That that's powerful. That's now I, I want to go to the doctor to your right. <laughs> uh, your work with the school of nursing and, and just your your background and things like maternal health and, and so many different facets. Uh, two things. One, why is it so difficult for us to find adequate health care? And secondarily, what are we doing to fix that? Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult. Um, One, I would say, is just, you know, people don't want to be around, you know, like sometimes they want providers that look like them. Mm. And I will never forget, I took my daughter to um, a nurse practitioner here in Las Vegas. And we walk in and she's got Isley Brothers playing and old school. And my daughter just felt comfortable, you know, at 17, 18 years old to be able to talk to her. And this is like somebody who relates to me. And even, you know, we took our dog to the vet last this past weekend and an African-American female vet. Mm. talking to us about our dog's health and it just made us feel better so part of it is say all that to say part of it is it's having people who look like us it hits different and that's it hits different it's very it's important that's not to say though all skin folk ain't kin folk Mm. okay so just because they look like us doesn't mean and this is why i always have to tell people like like please don't you know like say oh well we're just gonna hire all the african-americans to work with the african-american community because that does a a undue burden for all of us Mm. so we've got to then get everybody comfortable so, you know, I've done work in HIV and I've said, you know, to people in health departments, like if you have staff that's not comfortable, then you need to bring in somebody who's, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, whatever, mm-hmm. and let them talk about their story mm. and help them to feel comfortable. Take them to a gay bar and let them have that experience take them to places in the hood and let them see and so um you know all of that's important and how do we and i i always take it personally as an academic you know i'm the one who's teaching undergrads graduate students you know to move into this field and so how do we get them to do what they need to do and move into the field Hmm. and be successful so all of our listeners know that this is a room full of african-american black real folks that are doing (laughs) the work in healthcare, and there is room for you too this is a viable career path. We also got the, the football I'm going to call you a legend. So sports is a path, but healthcare is a path as well. We've got some amazing community events coming up. So I want to thank our guests for all your input. Don't go away because I got a final question for you. But I want to turn it over to Elisa for some community news. And just really quickly, for those that are interested in going into public health, if you are in your first or second year in uh, UNLV, or if you want to go to UNLV and interested in public health, there is a scholarship um, that my company has put out called Minority Health Consultants Public Health Scholarship. And so that is for first and second year students. I created that in order to create equity within our community to get more people that look like us into public health. Now, as we go into our uh, community sponsors, we just want to announce some things. Um, the Nevada Office of Minority Health and Equity, um, since this is their month, uh, have, have a couple of events. Uh, one is called I'm Here and I Count. 
Um, and basically that is Wednesday, April 19th, 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Horizon Ridge Clinic, um, Horizon Ridge, Ridge Wellness Clinic, to be specific. And that is at 1670 East Flamingo Road. Um, also, Saturday, April 22nd at 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., also at Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic. They will be uh, having a event basically sponsoring LGBTQ populations um, to secure data policy and service delivery. Um, and that includes Silver State Equality, uh, the Nevada Office of Minority Health, and the Gathering Place. Um, and so if you would go to those events on Wednesday and Saturday, they would definitely need your help. Also, another event that the Nevada Office of Minority Health has is Spring into Health Literacy. Um, they are working on the Office for Consumer Health Assistant present an opportunity to learn about resources and ways to connect with health providers and learn about the rights and opportunities you have as a resident of Nevada. That is Tuesday, April 25th, uh, 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Clark County Library at 1408 East Flamingo Road. Awesome. Some great events. I hope that you check that out. Uh, we have run out of time, but in one word, I want to start with you, Dr. Melba. One word, why does health equity matter? Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, so to be honest, the first word that popped into my mind is racism. All right. And Dr. Chapel Love. I was going to say, because we matter. Because we, I love it. I'm not good at following directions. <laughs> <laughs> we would put some hyphens in there, so okay, it's one perfect, word. Perfect. This has been A Healthier Tomorrow. Thank you to the uh, Health District for sponsoring this program year after year. This has been sponsored by the Office of Chronic Disease and Health Promotion. So, uh, as always, I want to remind you that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. So, what you do matters. So, I encourage you to live compassionately and take care of your health. We'll be right back here next month.